Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Second Opinion with me, Dr. Christian. This is your weekly medical magazine show where we deal with the topics that are important and which affect us all. We intend to offer useful advice and opinion every week, but I must make it clear that if you feel unwell, although we'd love you to keep listening, you should probably seek medical help, either by using the NHS 111 helpline, consulting your GP or visiting your nearby hospital. The opinions expressed in this podcast are purely my own and those of my guests. Why should I carry all the blame upon my shoulders? Right, with me is my friend and journalist Alex Stanger who is the Bonnie to my Clyde or the Wallace to my Gromit which would you like to be Alex? I think oh I've got to be Bonnie surely Bonnie? I'd right. like a bit of Faye Dun- Dunaway action with a little beret I could do that I can pull I can off, see surely. that I can see that <laughs> you've got squint. a bit of the criminal in you if we squint and just sort of like put a lot of Vaseline on our eyes though, <laughs> then I can be that yeah and um, this week's topic which is uh, one that's really important to me actually is I want to talk about social media Mm -hmm. young people um, and mental health because it's a biggie Um, I don't think it's covered enough and enough detail I think parents worry about it you've got three little ones I've got three little boys and I worry about it intensely yours are probably a little bit young they are a little bit younger so I'm luckily lucky enough I, I do hope that these things get a bit more sorted and we talk about it a bit more openly by the time they're teenagers um, because mine are all under 10 so I feel quite lucky in that sense because I think that schools now are hopefully getting a bit more on it um, and they're trying to be a bit more aware but I think those teenagers that have gone before them mm. I feel very sorry for them because I do feel like they went a bit into the unknown Well with me for that reason um, today is um, my friend uh, Liam Hackett who you are the CEO and founder of the charity Ditch the Label, which is essentially an anti-bullying charity. Um, but you deal a lot with these sorts of issues, don't you? Yeah, we do. I mean, we're, we're a global organisation and we literally help thousands of young people every single week navigate through some of these issues. And we see every single day the kind of impact that social media is having on young people's lives, both good and bad. Why Why did you set up Ditch the Label, Liam? What was it all about? Why? Well, I myself was bullied. Uh, I was bullied for 10 years at school and uh, I went through a really difficult time with it. Um, I was outed when I was around about 15. Um, I got beaten up that badly. I had to have stitches in my face. 
And my support network at the time was quite small. I didn't really have much support from the school. And uh, this was back in the days of MySpace, which was the first major social network. Um, And I used MySpace to talk about my experiences of being bullied. And I literally had hundreds of people message me to tell me that they were being bullied or to give me advice or to ask me for advice. And so here I am, age 16, with this massive audience online and I quickly realised that A, bullying was an issue that affected a lot of people, but B, the internet could be a really powerful tool to connect these people together to get advice and support. So that's where the idea of Digital Label um, came along. And then in 2012, when I graduated from university, I went through what I now call the quarter life crisis, which I think every young person goes through, um, which is when you leave education and all of a sudden you've got your whole life ahead of you and you don't have a clue what you want to do next. Mm. And I'd always had this idea of Digital Label in the background. And I felt like something like Digital Label was really needed. In did the you world. always have the title or did that come later? Yeah, I came up with that when I was 15 um, and I just decided to go for it and um, it worked and we help a lot of people. It more than worked. It's huge now, isn't it? So I'm quite interested because you're saying that this is like switching it on its head because we always go social media, ah! I mean, as a parent, I do that because I probably don't know it. I use Instagram. I use a bit of Facebook, but I don't really know um, that much about all the other stuff that's going on. So... You're using it in a positive way. I mean, what would you say about social media as far as bullying is concerned? Because if we read the Daily Mail, <clears throat> um, we, we would probably know, <laughs> but we would probably go, uh, it's all bad and uh, we should just stop it completely. Yeah, but look at everything the press reports. It's always negative. Mm. And there's a lot of fear mongering when it comes to social media. And understandably, parents are concerned and terrified and they want to shield their kids from using the internet. But actually, there are a lot of positives. I mean, um, let's just use an example of a young person growing up in a small town. Perhaps they're the only black person or gay person or trans person. You know, 50 years ago, they didn't have a support network. Whereas now all they need to do is connect to the internet and there's a community of thousands of people exactly like them who have walked the same path and can give them advice and support. And we're seeing young people are using the internet to become more entrepreneurial. They're learning new skills. Um, we, we we actually did some research a while ago and we were looking at online dating and people with virtual relationships. And the general consensus of public is that's quite negative. It's a bit weird. But what we actually found in the data was people who have a, a physical or a learning disability overwhelmingly were engaging in virtual relationships and we thought isn't that fantastic because these people are learning in a really safe way Mm. the skills that they need to navigate adult relationships so I think there's good and bad I you know we know that a lot of young people do experience cyberbullying and we've seen some horrific cases but there are also a lot of positives when it comes to the internet and I think when we talk about parents I think they have a huge role to play when it comes to teaching the kids how to safely use the internet instead of just handing them an iPad when they're 11 and saying, go and do whatever you want. Um, I think it's important to have that bit of hand-holding and that open communication. I mean, medically, we are, without being the party pooper here, I am seeing in clinic the fallout from the internet generation, if you like. You know, this, this it's the constant comparison of mm. your life with other people's lives, other people's photoshopped 
unfiltered lives compared to yours that seems rather bleak and dull. And actually, you know, it's teaching children what reality really is like and how probably those pictures which you see are just so faked, you know. But teaching children that, it's quite hard to get them to believe that. I think it's very difficult for adults sometimes. I mean, I'm 46 and sometimes I'm looking at these things going, God, look at her husband. He must really love her when he's got those amazing flowers. And you think, yeah, that's a load of rubbish, isn't it? I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? And if you're dealing with it when you're a teenager, yeah, that must be a lot to compare yourself with. Uh, and we hear this all the time. We're seeing that it's having very real impacts on things like eating disorders, self-esteem, mental health. And we also know that it becomes this vicious cycle because if you get a young person and you reduce their self-esteem, they're far more likely to perpetrate bullying towards another person. And I think the problem is, like, we have this culture where it's kind of seen as, as a good thing to follow people who are inspirational. And it's not only pictures that are edited. Whole lifestyles are completely organized. People only show the good online. They don't really show the bad. Um, And we have this weird thing in our culture about talking about bad things. And we actually did some research and uh, we found that young people didn't want to talk about the bad things because it would look like they were attention seeking or it's embarrassing and they don't want to talk about those things. But I mean, if you're 12 and your only experience is following these influencers who have these perfect lives, it is near impossible to shield yourself from that comparison and that constant benchmarking. And inevitably, it does reduce how you feel about yourself. Mm. Um, and I think we're all to an extent guilty of doing it. Where is the point where something goes from banter to bullying? Really? Think, is there a point? it's subjective so bullying by definition is completely subjective so what I may consider to be bullying you may not for example and I think this is something that's really important to young people because banter can actually be a really friendly thing to do and it can really enhance a modern relationship but it could also be really negative and I, everybody has their own individual boundaries and so we've got some really good guidance on our site it's literally called banter or bullying and and if the rule of thumb generally is if if it upsets somebody or shines them in a, a really bad unfavorable light, then generally it, it's more bullying. Whereas if the humor is shared and it seems to be joyful and fun and it's mutual, then it's more banter. I find banter can be a very passive aggressive way of, of of actually being really quite nasty yeah. in an apparently open and amusing way. But could that be a good thing as well? Because does it mitigate the chance of having big fallouts? Arguments? I think it can be a very insidious way of actually constantly digging at someone about something, apparently being jolly and nice, where really you're not. You're being a spiteful little madam or mister, actually. So I think it's a very good question. It's very hard to answer. But as you said, if it's upsetting that person... You know, for want of a better word, it's bullying them. And you know what? A lot of the times people could be bullying somebody without actually intending to. And they may have said something that they didn't mean to cause offence. And this is why communication is really key. Mm. Statistically, is bullying moving away from the playground and sort of like moving online? Well, it's interesting because, you know, some people believe that bullying and cyberbullying are separate things, whereas I kind of see it as, as one thing. And it almost becomes this ecosystem where you could be being bullied by somebody in school and then it just transcribes into offline and you're being bullied around the dinner table or in your bedroom via social media. And so when we kind of see these fear mongering stories in the media that lead us all to believe that every young person's being bullied, it's not true. It really isn't that dramatic. But we do know Statistically, around about two in ten will experience it at some point. Are schools doing enough, would you say? 
Uh, well, our school is um, doing resilience lessons, which is great. And they're for the under 10s and they do them from four. And it's all about, you know, it's a friendship. It's so how from to four deal years with old. From four years old. That's amazing. And it's it's been brilliant. I personally think it's been fantastic. And I talk to my kids a lot about what they've learnt. Not that they ever actually open up <laughs> because they're kids and they can't even remember what they had for lunch. But, yeah, I mean, like, we do... It does open up some conversations, I must say, and I think that that is really important. But I'm interested, again, with the parent thing, because yeah. I think that is the, this is the void where you just get so many mixed messages and you don't know exactly what, what you should be doing. Should I be talking about it? Should I not be talking about it? Should I be allowing them on social media? Because it's a good thing on one hand and then it's a bad thing on another hand. You know, all of these things. As I say, I don't want my kids to be on social media just yet, but there yeah. will come a time. I mean, they're badgering me mm. to get a phone or Already. something and yeah. it, it's not happening, yeah. but I get badgered. So it's it's all these mixed messages. And of how do you do feel about do? that? Though? Are you, is it going to be like sending them off to school on their first day, giving them their first phone? Are you going to feel sort of... My four-year-old has asked for an iPad and I, there's just no way. There's no way he's going to have it. And my nine-year-old is like badgering me for a phone. And it's just... And what are you going to do? He's not going to have one. He's Till not going to have one. Maybe, when? maybe when he goes to secondary school. Would you consider one of those kind of throwaway phones. He's going to have a Nokia yeah. and he's going to have, there's going to be no blooming anything on it apart from the odd text messages. I feel like we all need that rite of passage. I mean, my first phone looked like a calculator. It was a <laughs> Motorola. It had an aerial lap pulled out. Yeah, I used to too. chew it. It was great. I loved yeah. it. I used to yeah. chew it. Yeah, I chewed <laughs> mine out. I'm sure it's going to give you some horrible disease later I on know. in life. Oh my God. I, I would like to add some very important um, as someone with no children, my advice to you with children is you cannot protect them from everything, mm. okay? And that means you can't sort of keep things away from them. They will eventually see porn online. They will. If you think they won't or you're going to be able to protect them from that, then you're deluding yourself. So by far the best thing is to prepare them for it. What does it mean? What are they going to see? What's realistic? What's not? At a level of detail that you feel comfortable with and that's age appropriate. And I think, you know, also saying, look, some people may gang up against you. People won't always be nice to you. Preparing them for that is... You, I think it's your job as a parent, is it not, really? But trying to sort of protect them from it by keeping things away from them, that is not going to last forever and it's probably going to end in tears, I think. Yeah, I think building that resilience is really important and the communication. I mean, we do a lot of stuff within the gaming industry and we know that a lot of gamers do experience abuse in a game. Um, and I think a, the gaming culture is really built around clapbacks and using humour as a kind of comeback. And I think those skills are quite important to have and that resilience. And that's why I love what you were saying about your school teaching young kids resilience this is so important and unfortunately it is a bit of a postcode lottery mm. and we don't see anywhere near enough schools teaching those skills but they are essential and parents can do it themselves. they can absolutely and good communication skills and digital literacy skills there's some really great resources available on our website mother's day is around the corner Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There is no doubt a phenomenon. A lot of discontented young people aren't there who just constantly compare, you know, the Love Island perfect yeah. life. I mean, the idea of finding love in a quiz show is, is, is distressing to start with, but that's a whole other podcast, I suspect. It is. You know, is... is comparing, comparing lies with others and that constant dissatisfaction that your life never quite matches up. And that's that's sad. I know. And I think we all do it to an extent. But if you are spending eight hours a day on Instagram and all the accounts that you follow are people who are influential, who are so beautiful and have the most perfect lifestyles, it is impossible for that not to have an impact. And so, you know, advice that we often give to young people is to think about who they follow on social media and how those people make them feel. Um, and a lot of people don't really think about that. And I mean, I myself have gone through and uh, churned people that I follow who just don't represent a realistic lifestyle. And if I ever see anybody talk about the negative things happen to them online, I actually think it's a really great thing because I know how difficult that is. And it really does go against the grain. Um, but it's interesting because I travel a lot for, for work and we have offices over in the US and um you know, people always say, oh, you get to travel. It's so glamorous. I guarantee every person that travels for work hears that all the time. And they make out like it's this gorgeous holiday. And it's just so, you know, like it, it's just not representative. Anybody that travels for work knows that it isn't glamorous. Um, and I thought this one day, I thought, you know what, like, I'm in New York. I'm on my own. I don't love New York. Slightly controversial, but I don't love it. And um, I felt really anxious. I felt really lonely. And I felt a responsibility to share that with my audience online. And so I started to talk about it. And you know what? People were like, oh, boo-hoo you. <sighs> meanwhile, people are homeless. Or meanwhile, there's famine in Africa. And I'm like, my suffering does not counteract somebody else's. Mm. And it doesn't invalidate it. And actually, we should be encouraging people to share the reality. Because I could easily share pictures that look super glamorous and like I'm having a time in my life, which isn't representative. But it's almost kind of what I feel my audience wants to see. And I think every person online has a responsibility to be a bit more truthful. Mm. I th Certainly when I've tweeted about mental health issues that I've had and stuff, they've always had actually the best responses, Not you know, um, rather than what crazy TV party I've gone to. And no one's very interested in that. And I'll like, oh, shut up. But when I've said, you know, even I've struggled with mental health problems, et cetera, et cetera. 
I have felt validated by that, which maybe I am a victim of the same problem in the, looking for that validation. But it has been incredibly powerful to me yeah. to see a number of people go, we're with you and we know what you're talking but about. That, and That is exactly why social media is a powerful tool mm. for yes, kids. I would say this has changed a lot because I don't think we talked as openly about mental health, maybe even five years no. ago, as we do now. Mm-hmm. And people are much more aware and much more open to talk about their their own problems. It doesn't feel taboo anymore, no. does it, at no. all? No, exactly. And, you know, I don't know if you remember, but we did some research. Um, I keep saying we, we start everything. We did some research because we did. But um, we, we took, I think it was about 20 million online conversations about mental health, which took place on forums, on Twitter, on social media. And we wanted to understand what people were talking about. And generally, we found that people were really supportive. The only thing people weren't supportive about um, as much was body dysmorphia. Um, People were very critical. They were very quick to discard it as being vanity. And our theory behind that is because there isn't really much conversation about body dysmorphia and people don't generally understand it in the way that they now understand things like depression and anxiety. And so it's almost kind of like that next frontier of things because we see young people presenting symptoms of body dysmorphia all the time because of social media. Um, But the forum doesn't yet exist in the way that it does for other forms of mental health. Well, without appearing too controversial, I I think it's often... It's a phrase that's misused, a bit like, oh, I'm depressed. I feel really depressed today. It was misused. That's not strictly what depression is, which is a diagnosis. I think you get a lot of people sort of complaining about body dysmorphia just because they happen not to like a certain part of their body, which is not quite the same thing. But we're getting there, would you say? Yeah, and I I mean, you probably know this more than anybody, but I mean, the internet is probably a little bit harmful sometimes because people do self-diagnose. But on the flip side of that, you know, as you were saying, Alex, five years ago, people wouldn't dare to tweet, I'm feeling depressed. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's a sign that people are starting to see mental health as more of a spectrum as opposed to this binary construct that they're exempt from. Can I just uh, pick up on something that you said, our research? Can I do another bit of our research? Yeah. Because um, have you done research into the bullies themselves? We have, yeah. And what have you found? Is there a link or is there sort of like an overriding thing? Oh, massively. I mean, this is a, a hugely important part of our work is about understanding the reasons why people bully. Because when you look at the anti-bullying sector and the narrative of bullying, we're very quick to brand people as bullies and we villainize them and we think they need to be punished. And, you know, as being subjected to bullying myself for 10 years, I can understand that anger. But the punishment and the, you know, the villainization of these people clearly hasn't done much because it's 2019, we're still talking about bullying. And so we've done a lot of research on people who self-identify as having perpetrated bullying behaviors. And what we find that there's always a root issue. So it could be the stress or trauma. Um, there could be abuse at home. There could be bereavement. Um, there could be a whole host of different issues that are so unique to that individual. We then find that the issues are amplified depending on what gender the young person is. So if somebody is female, they're far more likely to perpetrate appearance-based bullying because they're raised in a society that says, hey, a huge part of your value is in how you look. And so inevitably, we're creating generations of young girls who are so self-critical, we damage their self-esteem and they project that onto other people. We find that for guys, bullying, they tends to be more likely to perpetrate aggressive forms of bullying and 
And when you look at the construct of masculinity, it's you've got to be strong, you've got to be tough. It's incredibly toxic. And so when you kind of put that into the mix and you've got a, a kid who's going home and his dad's beating up his mum and he's taught by society he's not allowed to cry or be vulnerable, he's going into school and he's thumping another kid mm. in, in class. And when you start to think about it like that and start to understand that there's a deeper issue, you don't get... You know, I've never heard of a young person who just bullies just for the sake of it. There's always a deeper issue. And I think if we're ever to combat the issue of bullying, we need to orientate interventions around the people who perpetrate as well as those who are victimised. I think it's an extraordinary testament to the sort of person you are, that given how badly bullied you were at school, to be able to sympathetically look at bullies and the reasons why they bully is is an amazing thing. And I, there are parallels, I think, with addiction. You know, addiction is a dirty word and society likes to ostracise addicts and shut them away. Families tend to shun them and shut them out. That's probably just about the worst thing you can do to an yeah. addict. And I think, you know, to punish and to further sort of make miserable a bully, how even if they might be making other people miserable, does not help and is never going to solve the problem, is it? No. And I mean, if you're punishing somebody who comes from an abusive household, for example, it's actually making the issue worse. Um, and I think, you know, going back to, to schools and their role, they do have a huge role. But we hear from teachers all the time that they are overstretched. They're under an immense amount of pressure. And we, you know, to punish somebody who's perpetrating is often a quick fix almost. But it doesn't ever resolve that issue. And it's something that we are really passionate about. And, you know, personally, it's kind of I've almost been on a bit of a journey throughout my career. And I will be honest, the first few years of having Ditcher Label, I was angry at the people who bullied me. Whereas now I do have a genuine understanding of some of the issues that they were probably battling with. And when you start to see it that way, you see that bullying is preventable. Um, And I hear from people all the time that, you know, bullying is just part of growing up. You can't fix it. I do genuinely believe you can fix it. You just have to innovate and think really differently about it. Okay, so it's advice time. We've got a mum here with three kids. She's worried. (laughs) Three males. About. Yes. I'm worried about uh, um, all sorts, all sorts. And phones. And we've got our expert on this subject here. What would you advise, Alex? How does she approach the whole social media thing with her? kids? I think firstly, you need to model good usage. And um, by that, we know a lot of parents will pick up like, I'm not saying you do this, but we know a lot of parents will pick up their kids from school and they're just looking at the phone yeah. and there's very little eye contact. I think almost that face-to-face eye contact communication is becoming a little bit defunct and we need to bring it back. And, you know, things like having dinners around the table is really perfect opportunity. We know that guys do find it harder to talk about issues. So a little trick um, that we always have in our toolbox is to almost kind of sit next to each other, perhaps in the car or going for a walk and you avoid eye contact. You know this. I know this. You've done this. I've done this. (laughs) And it works. It really works. I get the most from my nine-year-old if we're in the car, just driving somewhere. Not having to look at each other. Not having to look at each other. But you're saying there's two things. that We we should spend more time looking at each other and talking. Yeah. But then for that awkward teenager-y type conversation, Mm -hmm. it does actually help if he doesn't have to look Mm -hmm. you in the eye, right? Uh, Yeah. And I think, you know, like there's always new apps and new social networks that suddenly trend and there'll be a massive story and something devastating will happen and then it will die down and then it'll be another app. And so inevitably parents are terrified and Mm. the vast majority of young people are safe online. Um, The behaviours pretty much stay consistent, but the platforms change. And I think familiarising yourself with the kind of behaviours and things that happen online is always a good thing for parents. 
But I think the most important thing is communication. And, you know, when we ask kids if their parents know that they're being bullied, and for those who say no, it's because they're scared of the parents saying, well, you're not allowed access to the internet, or, you know, they're scared of that punishment and the retaliation. And I think parents can proactively navigate those issues by creating safe places in the home where par- where children can talk about these issues and there's no threat of punishment um, and where things are really open. And I think that first ever interaction is key. And we say this to people who uh, want to come out. The first person that they come out to will... It's so impactful because if they respond positively, then that trajectory for that young person generally is quite positive. If they respond negatively, then the young person will go back in on themselves and won't tell anybody else for a long time. And so it's almost similar when a a child talks to you about something that they, you know, you may consider it trivial, but for them, it's actually really important. Your first response will dictate how they're going to talk to you about other things. And I think that's always really important to get right. So we've got to be calm and not shouty much. Yes. <laughs> okay. I talk a lot about sexual health and I always say to parents when they say, how do we, what do we do, what age? I always say, well, look, just ask yourself this. Could your kids, not would they, but could your kids ask you anything? Has Have you given that message that nothing is out of bounds, they can ask you anything and it's okay? They probably won't, because let's face it, boys are never going to ask you certain questions. But as long as you feel that actually the door is always open and they always could and they know that, I think that is possibly, arguably, the single most important thing you need to do as a parent, really. Anyway, if you want to find more about Ditch the Label, have a look at their website. It is fantastic. It's www.ditchthelabel.org. Is that it? So we done? That's it. Are we nearly That's there? That's it. And, and, and Liam, I've still got so many questions for you. I'm going to have to ask them when we get off ahead. Well, um, big thank you to Alex and especially to our guest, Liam Hackett, who's kindly shared his own first-hand knowledge of bullying with us today and how to more safely use social media. Alex, I hope you feel a little bit more comfortable about it now. I That's do. all for this week. But don't forget, you can get in touch with me by emailing info at thepodcastworks.com or you can tweet me, be nice, at Dr Christian. If you've liked what you've heard, feel free to give us a five-star rating please it's not compulsory but if you don't alex will be coming around (laughs) with her ipod thank you all and goodbye (laughs) planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 